0: Hey guys, I'm um, with you guys again. My name is Ricardo. For those of you guys who don't know, I'm the campus pastor here. Justin, who is our primary communicator, is not here. He is in Gilbert this week. Uh, And ironically, last week when I was teaching, I knew he was coming back, and I was just looking through what the next few verses were. And I was reading this text that Jason just read, and I thought, man, how is Justin going to handle that? And then I got an email from him that says, hey, um, I'm going to be in Gilbert, so you're going to be up in Tempe. And I thought, man. How am I going to handle this? Um, we, this morning we had a girl that was reading the scripture, Heather, who's one of the singers here, and I was telling the 10 o'clock service, no matter, you could have got the nicest voice, the kindest person to read the, those verses, but it still was all bad. Um, weep, how for the miseries that are coming upon you. This is going to be a fun message. Um, Let let me just tell you this. In Scripture, what we have is we have warnings and we have promises. We love promises. Promises that say that God will never leave you nor forsake you. We love those things. Draw near to the Lord and he will draw near to you. That's, That's good news. And then in the Scripture, we have warnings. And and, and oftentimes, we're we're not excited about the warnings. And the warnings are, this is not the way to live. If you live this way, um, things just won't go good for you. Um, Things won't um, be the best for you. In fact, they will be the worst. And so the text that we have this evening in James chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, is a warning text. And So as I was studying this throughout the week, um, probably the hardest time that I had in studying because as I read this, what I was thinking is, how are we going to accept this. How are we going to hear this? My, my fear is that we're going to hear this and think this is somebody else, this is somebody else in the distance, and it, and it won't be something that's important to us or relevant to us, and yet it's in the scripture. So I'm glad that, that God would allow us to come to this time, and personally I'm glad that God would allow me to have this text because um, this, is, this is definitely not a lot, a lot of chucks, not a lot of laughter, because it's a lot of judgment, it's a lot of wrath towards a particular people. So before we jump into this, why not you guys do me a favor? Bow your heads, let, let's pray and ask God to bless our time as we hear the teaching of his word. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, that you are a shepherd and that you guide us and that you lead us, Father God. We pray, Lord, as we open up the scripture, Father, that you would be with us, that you would give us wisdom, that you would give us clarity. God, we pray that your spirit would empower us, Lord, to bring conviction Lord, let this serve as a warning, Lord, and lead us to your cross. In Jesus' name, amen. If you guys haven't already turned there, we're in James chapter 5, verse 1. A couple years ago, I was in a wedding of my best friend that I grew up with, my good friend Ryan. We were best friends from third grade all the way up. Um, but what happens is when one person moves away to college, actually both of us move away to college, we get to know different friends, and sometimes your home friends are not really friends with your college friends. I don't know if you have that awkward experience. That's exactly what happened at this wedding. So he, he teamed us together with a group of guys to hang out with, and there was this one guy, a friend of his from Las Vegas, where he went to college, and his name was Tony. And, and Tony was like, I don't have a whole lot of nice things to say about Tony. Let's, let, let's just say he was a guy who made a lot of money. Um, I know this because he told me. He was a guy who had a lot of girls, and again, I know this because he kept telling me. Um, and, and, and he did a lot of things that I just did not agree with. And he was just that guy. And, and we were going around the table and he's going around seeing what he does and how much he makes and whatnot. And he goes, okay, like, hey, what do you do? What do you do? And I always hate those questions, um, especially when you're with a context of people who are not familiar with church and whatnot. And so, you know, they're going to come to the pastor and you're going to say, what do you do? I, you know, I talk to people. I'm a teacher. Um <laughs> What school do you teach? At? Well, it's not really a school. It's kind of like a private, you know, just, it's, it's more specific. Um, so what do you do? I'm a pastor. Oh, yeah, yeah. next. <laughs> and, and that's usually how it goes. And as soon as I said I'm a pastor, he gave me this look like I was this big. And I'm like, gosh, if I wasn't a Christian right now. <laughs> that night, they were going out, and they were going to engage into some activities that I decided I was just going to stay in the hotel um, and I said, I'll just stay in the hotel. And so I was in the hotel by myself, you know, doing what I was doing, minding my business, probably praying or fasting or something. <laughs> and, and, and I get a knock on the door, and it's Tony. So Tony walks in. He goes, yeah, I'm not going to go out tonight. I, I do this type of stuff all the time. And, and he sat down. and He goes, hey, you're the church guy. You're the God guy, right? Yeah, Tony. That, and he goes, listen, listen, you, I make a lot of money. And I'm like, yeah, I, I've heard. And he goes, I, I have a lot of things. And he goes on to talk about how, how he's done things illegally, how he does things illegally to get the money that he has, to create the wealth that he has, um, how he does um, illegal things that are legal in Vegas. So you could just think about what he does. And, and, and he has tons and tons of things. And he says, when I want something, I get it. Um, when I want things done, they get done. He goes, now tell me, why does someone like me need God? My life is fine. In fact, I'm having the most fun that I've ever had. Why do I need God? Convince me. I said, I don't know if I can convince you, but I can tell you this. If you continue to chase those things and continue to gain those things, whether they be, be girls or money or cars or houses or whatnot, you can continue to go that. In fact, you may enjoy yourself, but if you, this may be it. Meaning, at the end of your life, you lose, bro. You lose. If this is what you're, you're striving for, if this is what you're looking to, then, then you are severely lacking, like severely lacking. And the conversation continued to proceed from there. But there was this arrogance about him that he did not care. He, he says, I'll never get married out of fear that I'd have to share my possession and share my wealth with somebody else. He just did not care. And in me, I was just thinking, wow, there are people like this. And James addresses these people in James chapter 5. People who are pursuing wealth and pursuing possession and pursuing things and material things and hoarding it for themselves. And he goes after this group with fierce language. Um, James speaks like a prophet in in these first six verses. Uh, Like Amos, like Isaiah, like Jeremiah. And and, and he goes after them. And the things that we'll see, just three overarching things about when we try to pursue wealth and possessions and, and things apart from God... One, there will be judgment. There will be judgment. You have the potential to be oppressive, and you're just selfish. So judgment, oppression, and selfishness. James begins in verse 1. He says, come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. James begins the same way he began last week when he says, come now. And if you remember last week, James was addressing a particular people. He was addressing business people who were planning and making um, plans without the understanding of a good, sovereign God. This week, James shifts gears, and he's actually talking about the rich, and he's talking to rich people, and he's talking to people who have lots of things, and people who have money, and people who have wealth. And he says, listen here, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. So you have to stand back and ask the question, is, is James condemning them because they're rich? Is James condemning them because they're rich and that, that's the big sin? Is being rich a sin? Is having possessions and having wealth a sin? Is, is, I mean, can a Christian have a nice house? Can a Christian drive a nice car? I said that this morning, actually. I said, can a dr- Christian drive a BMW? And then after I was done, I walked out the back and there was this sweet BMW there. And I was like, dude, I'm oh this guy didn't leave. Um, can a Christian drive a sweet BMW? That's the question here, and and a couple things are defined. One, we have to loosely define what does it mean to be rich. Because if I said right now, hey, think of the rich people you know. Think of rich people in your life. Think of rich people who you've seen. We we think of certain people. But my guess is probably no one in here thought, me, I'm rich. And yet, relatively speaking, the fact that we have clothing, that we have shelter, that we have education, that, we, that we, we know where our next meal is going to come from, that we have a banking account, that we have cell phones, like that puts us in one of the top percent of the world. I mean, so, so we may not walking around or praying around thinking that we're millionaires, but, but relatively speaking, we're, we're rich. So it begs the question, is James going after people because they're rich? So you always have to let Scripture interpret Scripture, and this is what the Apostle Paul says towards rich people in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, Ask for the rich in this present age. Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides for us with everything to enjoy. So, so the Apostle Paul says, It's not a sin to be rich. Um, just don't set your hope on the riches of this world. So like my buddy Tony, this not my buddy, but this guy, Tony, was setting his hope on the riches of this world. And he says, that's not the, the issue is not that you're rich. The issue is not a fundamental action again or behavior. It comes down to the heart. What do you do with your money? Your money actually shows what you believe and what you care about. He says, don't store up treasures for yourself in this life. So James is not saying it's a sin to be rich. He's particularly going after this group because they're wicked, and because their hearts are wicked. And, and, and another, another grave thing here is that James does not open the window for repentance. James never in this letter says, in ver, excuse me, in the first six verses here, says, but if you stop, he's saying because of your lifestyle, you should weep, you should howl because of the miseries that are coming upon you, the wicked rich. You see, rich in itself, having things, having possession, that's not the issue. God has provided for us. And he's provided us with with good things, some of us more than others. And with those good things, we have the responsibility to be stewards of those things, to be stewards of the money that God has given us. And so one of the ways that we steward that money is we take the money that God's given us and we provide for our families. We use the money to, to advance kingdom purposes. We use the money to support those in ministry. We use the money to win people to Jesus. We use the money to meet people and meet tangible needs. And after doing those things... Take what you have, and you're, you're free to enjoy it. But, but the issue is, we, we are called and we are blessed by God to be a blessing. Our money in itself is not even ours. It's God's. That's why we're called stewards. It's something he's given us for us to steward. The, the problem was, the, these people, they, they weren't doing that. They, they weren't taking their money and saying, okay, how can I advance the kingdom? How can I meet needs of lost people? They, they were taking the money, and they were saying, how can I store it up for myself. And James says, because of that lifestyle, this is why the wrath of God, this is why the judgment of God is coming upon you. You pursued wealth, possessions, and things apart from God. He goes forward to let us know what else these guys did in verse 2. He says, your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten, and your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. James gives us three pictures about their wealth. The first picture is of grain, corn, uh, food. And he says, this is how how they had wealth at that time. They could store up food for themselves in big, huge barns. And he says, you stored up food, you stored up grain, and it, it, it just rotted. And the reason why it rotted is because you kept it for yourself. You didn't share it you didn't think about the poor. You didn't think about those in need. You didn't think about how you can hire people and pay them in grain. You just kept it for yourself, and it rotted. Uh, again, this is the picture that we, we, we alluded to last week in Luke chapter 12, when Jesus gives a parable of the rich man. And he says, hey, I got all these riches. What should I do? I know what I'll do. I'll build a bigger barn and put more stuff in there and build other barns and put more stuff in there, and I will save it for myself, and that's how I'll live. And then Jesus says, you fool. This very night your life will be taken. That's the picture that James gives here. One, your 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 riches, they will fade. Everything that we have, it will fade. And the bigger picture here is he's saying you hoarded. It. it was it was wasteful. You didn't think of anyone else. Then he goes to another part in which they made money and they had wealth was in their garments, in their clothes. So whatever the fashion or style of clothes they had, they were in garments. And these garments would be embroidered and they would have embellished jewels and whatnot on it. And and then what would happen is when they were done with those garments, they would hand them down to somebody else. Not these people. These people would keep the garments and they would keep them in their closet or whatever they had to store their garments. And then no one would use them. And the moths would come in and they would eat them. Again, The picture is, your things fade, and the bigger picture is, don't be wasteful. Don't be wasteful. And then finally, he goes to the the coin, and he says this in verse 3, Your gold and your silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you. Gold and silver, James gives us the picture that gold and silver, uh, not necessarily gold and silver because they don't rust, but these things rust, and the picture that he's given us is, again, you're being wasteful. And so here, 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 here's for us. Don't be wasteful. Every single one of us can probably go to our closet and look at things in our closet that we were like, we never use that, that someone else probably can benefit from. But we have memories, we hoard. I mean, our culture, we just hoard it. We'll save anything. Um, we just, My wife and I, we just packed up from one house and moved to another house, and I just found myself, oh, no, can't get rid of those. I think I scored seven points in a junior, junior high basketball game in those shoes, so got to keep those for some reason. It's like... No, Seven points in a junior high basketball game? You're the only one that remembers that. <laughs> we, we, we hoard. Uh, my favorite TV show um, in, in college was MTV Cribs. I don't know if you guys ever used to watch that. Um, actually, let me back up first. Because this has set, this is, this is, this is set, set the tone for it. When we moved from Mississippi to California, my family, we didn't have anything. Um, we didn't have much, I should say. And when I say we didn't have much, we, we moved into a back house that my dad and his dad had put together in um, the back of the house, the backyard of my grandmother's house. We had no running water. We had two rooms in there. It was a room for my brother, my sister, and myself, and a sheet, and then my parents slept in that bedroom. So if we wanted to brush our teeth or go to the bathroom, we'd go outside and go into the house of my grandma's house. So we didn't have a whole lot. My mom got a job and started working for Head Start, um, preschool teacher, and still does today, and we were able to afford an apartment and move into a little better, a better town. And in that apartment, even then, we shared a room and whatnot. But I wanted stuff. I, I, I always wanted stuff. And when I had the opportunity to go to college that's when I start watching MTV Cribs. And one of the best part about the Cribs to I me, mean, I wasn't really in the cars, I wasn't really into like bling and whatnot, um, a little bit, but not a whole lot. Uh, I remember the first time I got my ears pierced, like I went to Claire's. You, you, you don't got it when you gotta get earrings from Claire's. Uh, so anyways, I liked it when they used to go to the closet and they'd show their closet, and they'd have all these shoes and all these clothes. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I want. So in college, I took all the money that I had and all the money that I didn't have um, to buy all these things. And I had all types of hat to match my shirt and shirts to match my shoes. And I, you know, I thought I was ghetto fabulous at that time. And, and, th- and that, that's kind of what I lived for. And, and I can remember as clear as, clear as day, when, after God had saved me, walking into my closet and looking at my shoes and then counting them and having 30-plus shoes, 40-plus hats, and just thinking to myself, how many thousands of people are walking around with no shoes because I have them in my closet? And how many people are walking around with, without stuff that maybe you have? How many things do you have that you're hoarding that you really don't need that someone else can use and use it way better than you and far more often than you? It is clear in scripture, we are blessed to be a blessing. When James goes after these people here and and he says judgment is coming, it's because they lived the life that was all about them and they hoarded, they kept for themselves. We may not be a people that, oh yeah, we're all about possessions, but all we have to do is look around, look at our places that we live and see what are the things that we hold on to. And I love what James says here. He says this, he says, you have... He says, corrosion will be evidence. So these things will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. And he's saying this is evidence of your life. The way you spend your money is evidence of what you believe. And so what I said this morning is you want to see where your heart's at? Just, just, Just go through your banking account, go through your checkbook, and just see how you spent your money in the last two to three months. Just see if it went to provide for your family and see if it went to, to kingdom purposes and see if it went to maybe the church and see if it went to meet the needs of people or to reach people who do not know Jesus. And just just see. And see if, see if your money is evidence against you. James says when you, when you pursue wealth, when you pursue possessions, when you pursue these things apart from God, you, 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 lose, you lose sight of what life is about. You hold on to things that are going to fade anyway, and you don't care about people. And thus, you begin to step on people. Verse 4. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You cannot read this if you have a pulse and not get upset. What James is saying is these men hired people to come do labor for them. These men hired people to come do hard work for them. And when they were done, in order that they may save money, they didn't even pay them. They sent them away. This, was, this is wrong in our day, and it was, it was gross in their day as well. God spoke to this. You see, in their agrarian economy, it was, it was an essential part in Israel to have day laborers. And day laborers would hire themselves out. Oftentimes, farmers who fell on bad times, they would hire themselves out to rich people to do work in order to get paid. Oftentimes, these people were good people. They were godly people. They feared God, and they would hire themselves out in order to make money to provide for their family, to do the right thing. And it was, it was clear in Scripture that they were to get paid that day. Um, many people in the times of uh, in Israel, in the times of the Bible, they were, they were three or four days away from poverty and death. It, it wasn't like, you know what, I got about a month to go. They were three or four days from not having anything. And so it was explicit in Scripture that they should have it. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 24, it was in the law that how they were supposed to care for them. And so James alludes this. Chapter 24, verse 14. This is what he says. You shall not oppress the hired servant who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your brothers or one of the sojourners who is in your land within your towns. You shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets. For he is poor, and he counts on it, lest he cry out against the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin. And and that's what James says. Their cries, they've reached God. They've reached the Lord of hosts, or the Lord of armies, meaning God is coming after you. When you manipulate, when you oppress the poor, God sees, and God hears, and God acts. The reason why this is hard, because I don't think that we naturally go around oppressing the poor. I, I don't think that we're uh, intentionally, I don't think we go around, we, you know, we don't hire people to do work for us and, like, pull out the cash and then take it back and put it in our pocket, right? I don't think we do that. Um, however, um, this this weekend, I had a chance to do that. I didn't do it. But we, we, we the house that we just moved into had, needed a brand new roof, and these guys came and they did the roof, and this guy was just... Couldn't really understand what he was saying. And didn't, I didn't really know what he was... I just couldn't understand what he was saying. And finally, when he came to, to pay me, he said, um, I said, how much do I owe you? He goes, well, how much did I, did I tell your wife? And I'm thinking, you don't even know how much I'm supposed to pay. Wait, you don't know how much I'm supposed to tell you? I called my wife. Look at you guys. I called my wife. Hey, how much did we say we were going to pay him so we can pay him? Um, I'm not going to have God coming after me, right? And so we, we, we paid him his money. But honestly, we don't oppress the poor. I don't think that we're people who oppress the poor, but, but, but what we are, I, I, we may not oppress the poor, but I do think we omit the poor. Meaning, our sins may not be active in oppressing them, but I think our sins are an omission. Meaning, I don't think we consciously think about the poor. I don't think we consciously think about the least of these. I don't think we think about that. And yet James, when he writes this letter, he talks about what true, authentic Christianity looks like. He he says, you will have suffering, but you'll have joy. He says, if you're going to be a Christian, don't just talk about it, be about it. Don't just be a hearer of the word, be a doer of the word. And then he says, true religion. Truly getting the gospel is this, looking after orphans and widows. So people who don't have anything, people who don't have people to look after, people whose structures and systems in their life are not the same as yours. And so I think where we're guilty is that we don't think about the poor. I don't think when we pull out our money, I don't think when we go to buy things, I don't think when we, we think, okay, what, what does the poor need? How can I bless the poor? And I'm not just talking about an event, I think we could be good, especially in a demographic of where we are in Tempe, as young as we are as a church, we can be good at pulling people together for a weekend or for a day. But I'm I'm talking not an event, but a lifestyle. The Bible is, is clear on two things. One, that God doesn't have favorites, yet he does draw near and he hears the cries of the poor. Over and over again, God is with the poor. You see him in the Psalms, in the Proverbs, in Deuteronomy, talking about the poor, caring about the poor. When God himself put on flesh, he came, Jesus, to a poor family in a no-name town. He himself was a family that was pushed to the side and just marginalized. And I, I think that's where we're guilty. And there's ways that we can, we can get better at this. There's ways that we can actually start. There's ways that we can understand fundamentally of how do we serve the poor. But you have to sit down and think about it. I think it's like prayer. In prayer, you have spontaneous prayer and then you have intentional prayer. So you have spontaneous prayer where you're just driving down the street and you just want to pray and you pray for someone or you're about to take a test and go, oh Lord, I pray I get an A. Um, whatever your your spontaneous prayers are. And then there's intentional prayer. There's times where you set aside, you get up in the morning or whatever times you have, and you get on your knees and you pray. And I think we can do the same thing with the poor. If if prayer is going to be a part of our lifestyle, and thinking about the poor should be part of our lifestyle, they're spontaneous, and then there's also um, just intentional times. So just one idea of a spontaneous is you can get a Ziploc bag, if you know you're driving around and you have people that approach you that need money or need food, when you're driving around, you can get a Ziploc bag, a bunch of Ziploc bags, put them in your car. You can have a Bible in there, like a nice, easy, cheap Bible, a pair of brand new socks and a protein bar or something. And so when they said, I need money, I need food, you get an opportunity to give them some socks. You can meet some needs there. You can give them a Bible. You can meet a spiritual need there. And you give them food. You can meet another physical need there. It's really, really simple. It's really, really simple. driving down the street, oh wait, I have something for you. And then you have to, with your families, with your friends, with your roommates, think, okay, how are we going to intentionally care about the poor? Some of you may be called by God to move from a particular neighborhood into another neighborhood, to incarnate there. Some of you guys may be called by God to to serve the poor in a job-type setting. Um, I don't know what it may be. Some of you may start nonprofits and ministries to serve. Some of you actually may start businesses that hire people that, that, that can't find jobs. I don't know what it is, but as a church and as a people of God, if we are a reflection of who God is, and God cares for the poor, then, then, then we, have to, we have to start thinking of the poor. Amen? James, James goes on to say not, not, not only were these people inviting judgment, not only were they oppressive, they were just downright selfish. He says in verse 5, You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. And, and that's, that's clear. It's exactly what it says. You lived for yourself. Everything that you had was for you. You did everything you could to indulge yourself. You were just selfish. And again, I, I, I do think that that's pretty clear in our culture as well. Meaning, meaning you, you, don't, you didn't think about others. You thought about yourself. And, and, and the idea and the picture here is, is Jesus in, in Matthew 6 saying, don't store up treasures for yourself in this life. Don't find your pleasures in the things of this world. Justin talked about it a few weeks ago. Seeking pleasure is not bad. Seeking pleasures in things other than God is. If you see the beauty of God and his beauty that in him is everything that is to be desired, you you saturate yourself in the goodness and the greatness of who God is, that's where you will find your pleasure. These people didn't find pleasures in those things. They found pleasures in the things of this world. They found pleasures in drink. They found pleasures in money. They found pleasures in possessions. And, and, and I see it here. We go nuts when a new iPhone or a new iPad or a new whatever comes out. We just, we, we have to get it. it somehow it's going to make our life better. It's going to make us better. It's going to make us prettier. It's going to make us look better. Whatever, we can drive faster. Whatever the thing it is that we can get our hands on. We we are not in this life. In fact, to be a human, to be a human, the best thing to do is not live for yourself. Whether you're a Christian or not, the best thing to do is to pour yourself out for others. And yet James says you lived on this earth in luxury and self-indulgence. Then he says this: you fatten your hearts in the day of slaughter. And what picture of that is? They would take these calves before they were going to slaughter it and they would feed it and feed it and get it nice and fat, knowing it was just going to be slaughtered. James gives these images here that are frightening. Howl and weep because of the miseries that are coming on y- upon you. Um, these things are going to eat your, f- your flesh like fire, and, and you're going to be slaughtered. You, you, you're you're going to be slaughtered. And so the way that you're living your life, like my friend Tony, if he doesn't come to know who God is, and he finds all of his pleasures... Temporary, temporary, and the things of this world, he will be severely lacking come judgment day. And that's what James has here. And he closes it with verse six. It gets even worse. He says, You have condemned and murdered the righteous person, and he does not resist you. The picture here is that these same laborers, these same day laborers that they cheated out of their money, the rich people were dragging them into court and then using their own money to bribe to get these people falsely accused and ultimately murdered like this is really 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 bad and it says the righteous person meaning people who were godly and it says he doesn't even resist you it, when, when it ends there it says he doesn't resist you it's the picture of, of Jesus saying if someone's gonna slap you in the cheek turn the other cheek and let him slap you in the other one as well he's already robbed you once and didn't give you the money And now he's dragging you in the court, and and this godly man is just saying, yeah, go ahead. And he takes his life. Uh, James says this is a warning, guys. When you begin to pursue wealth, when you begin to pursue riches, when you begin to pursue possessions, you can easily be distracted. The most godly person, the most devout person, whoever it may be. So people people have argued over, is James talking to Christians or is he talking to non-Christians? I don't know. This is what I do know. It's in the Bible, and the Bible are for Christians and people who would become Christians to read. So it's clear that God wants us to hear this. It's clear for me personally that God wanted me to hear this, and for whatever reason for us at Redemption, that God wanted us to hear this. And, and we see these people, the three things that we saw, they hoarded, um, they, they kept for themselves, they were oppressors, and they were selfish. And James is, James is clear here. This is not what the church should be marked by. This is not what Christianity should be marked by. Uh, true, true Christianity doesn't do this. We don't pursue things. We have a different motivation and a different heart. In fact, we should be marked by generosity and pouring ourselves out for the poor and pouring ourselves out for the least of these and pouring ourselves out for those in need and pouring out ourse- ourselves for those orphans and widows and people who don't have structures and systems in place that we can help them. Th- this is what he's saying. Yet, I get why it's hard for us to be, to be generous, because many of us are not pursuing wealth to store up things for ourselves. In fact, in a day and a time like, like we are in now, we're trying to hold on to what we have. We're trying to hold on to whatever money that we do have. But in doing that and trying to save, we can find ourselves in positions that are not good. We can find ourselves lying on our taxes, we can find ourselves not giving, we can find ourselves just just, just caring about us and us alone. And at the very heart of it, it's a failure to believe that God provides. The reason why I don't give my money away, the reason why I don't give my resources away is because I fundamentally don't believe that God is a provider. And so I'm not going to be generous. I'm going to take care of my family, I'm going to just take care of us and we're going to be okay. And then the reason why we don't really pour ourselves out to the poor, one, there's a tr- the, the truth of it is some of us just don't know how. And that's on us. We, we're going to have to provide some classes to train us on how to care for the poor because there's ways that you can try to care for the poor to actually hurt the poor. Handouts are not always the best thing. Um, being able to promote dignity for them, providing opportunities from the work to get something, that actually creates for them dignity and an opportunity to, to succeed. But some of us don't, don't know how, even though the scripture is very clear. and we, we get that. But in other times, we don't help the poor because they're hard. And and, and we're not always sure what they're going to do with the help that we give them. Every one of us has been in that that opportunity or that time when that person comes out of the gas station and says, hey, give me some money, man. I got these people that I'm trying to help out. I I need like 70 bucks. It's like, For some reason, I I don't know if you're going to do right with this money that I'm going to give you. Or or we've had the people, oh, my kids are in the car. Where are your kids? Well, they're in the car. Trust me. Can you just give me money? I need food. And some of us are like, I don't know. When it comes down to it, we're not really sure if everyone is deserving or worthy of the money that we're going to give. We have to be honest. We're not really sure if we're going to help them. We're not sure if they're worthy or they're deserving. And what I would say to that is we have to be careful of what we say about people who are worthy or deserving. Because the Bible is unbelievably clear that we were never deserving. We were undeserving, and yet God gave freely. We were the the people that were going to take what God had given us and run away and do what we wanted to to do with it, and yet God gave freely. The, The only way that we can ever be people that are generous and people who pour themselves out for the poor is if we see that God himself poured himself out for us. Second Corinthians verse 8 says this, for you know the grace of God, the undeserved, undeserved gift of God. You know the grace of God who was rich yet for your sake became poor so that you through his poverty may become rich. When you see that God has stooped down and left the comfort of heaven to pour himself out for us, now we, in response to that, we live generous lives and we live lives that we pour ourselves out for people around us. We pour ourselves out to give, to serve, and to bless the needs of the community and the people around us. We're not just takers, we're not hoarders, but we become givers. Because, you know, one, God has richly provided for us in Christ Jesus. God will meet our needs because he's our father and he loves us. And so, so instead of hoarding, instead of being, being oppressive, and instead of being selfish, we are marked by giving. And givers of our money and of our time and of our resources. Not an event, but a lifestyle of it. We, we are also, we're also marked by service. We don't always serve in church, but we're constantly serving in our community and serving at places. We're servants. Jesus himself says the son of man didn't, didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give, him li- give his life as a ransom. And then finally, again, we're blessed to be a blessing. And so we should be marked as a people who would go and bless. A couple of friends of mine do some work down in Phoenix, and they, they work in the, uh, downtown, and they hand out donuts and coffee, and they show the gospel to people. And, and they've been doing this for quite some time now. And they invited me to come down there and some, do, do some work. And I was talking with this guy for a while, a guy who was there on the street, and his older guy, and, um, and finally he says, hey, thanks for coming out here, and he went, he went to shake my hand, and I went to shake his hand, and um, I'm, I'm ashamed to say this, but there was a part of me that was like, gosh, I don't want to shake his hand, because it was just dirty and crusty and chapped and dried up blood, and I thought, I, I just don't want to shake his hand, and yet there was another part of me that says, I, I, I need this, Like, this is exactly what God's called me to do. Because this man, and the poor, and the shabby, they are but a physical reflection of what we are spiritually. We were bankrupt, we had nothing, and we were completely undeserving, and yet God came and he rescued us. God came and he saved us for his own glory, amen? He said to me, why do you guys come down here Why do you guys leave wherever you are to come down here? That's a great question. Here's why we leave, and here's why we go. It's because God left and he came for us. Everything we do is in response to the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for warnings. And Lord, we thank you that you have given us an opportunity to repent. And Lord, one of the hardest things to repent from, Lord, is sins of omission um, and even hidden faults. But we ask for forgiveness. We ask that you would lead us. We ask you that you would guide us to be givers, Lord. Not just to the church, Lord, alone, but Lord, to this world. That the name and the fame of Jesus would be known. Father, we know that our spiritual condition apart from you is broken, it's chapped, and it's crusty, and it's without life and without hope, and it's dark, and it's muggy, and yet you have entered in in our world through Jesus, and you've given us the Holy Spirit, and you've given us new life, and you've given us the spirit that cries out, Abba, Father, even our identity has changed, our family has changed. We are no longer sons, Lord, of the evil one, but Lord, we we are sons of you, our Father, our older brother is King Jesus. And so, Father, we, we, we ask, Lord, that you would make us a church that lives radical for you. Father, we pray that you'd make us a church, Lord, that would live a lifestyle that, that cares and serves the poor. God, we pray that, that you would make us a church, Lord, that, that pours itself out for the city that you've given. And even meeting the needs of our brothers and sisters that are around us, Lord. God, would you do that in us, Lord? Would you do in us, Lord, what we wouldn't even ask, think, or imagine? as a body. God, I pray that we would live we would live for this city in the way that you live for us, Lord. We thank you and we give you glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.